Ahoy, and welcome to the Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. Okay, today we are covering The Cheerleaders by Kara Thomas, chapters 1 through 8, pages 1 through 121. First, before we get into it, I want to say that my daughter went to her karate competition. She's only five, and she totally won some medals like a boss, so just saying I'm a proud mama. Also, on my week off, Happy anniversary to my husband. Seven years. That's what's up. Okay, so let's focus. If you follow me on social media, this will come as no surprise to you, but I am not feeling this book. I don't really like the writing style. That's my personal opinion, though. I wouldn't be surprised if other people enjoyed the book. Also, I don't know if part of my problem is I take notes on this and I kind of just like want to get to the point. And there's a lot of filler and supposed like character development but i'm kind of like okay who did what and why i need like motive and murder okay so maybe that's just my personal opinion but my other kind of problem is the book talks like you already know everything and the reader is like left to make a lot of assumptions which i don't really like the main character is monica she's pretty meh i don't really like her it's like not as bad as stevie but just boo like no one cares about your problems Okay, also, there's, like, a lot of stuff going on that, like, would not happen in normal society. It's very, like, Gossip Girl or Pretty Little Liars. Like, in our rich white school, all this crazy stuff happens. Oh, my gosh. Also, there's a ton, a ton. Like, I can't even emphasize how many characters. I made a chart, as usual, and I'll post it on social media. There are, like, kind of baby spoilers in it, so just be aware of that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So things to look forward to, a lot of deaths, like seriously, a lot, a baby daddy and an unknown texter. So this book is set up. It's written in first person by our narrator, who is Monica, and occasionally her sister, Jennifer, but her sister's part's from five years ago because her sister is now deceased. And I don't really like it. The first person like is not hitting right for me. It's not executed as well as I would have liked. And there's kind of just like, this is my thought process, but it doesn't really make any sense. I don't know. You'll see. It's kind of annoying, but we'll get into it. Chapter one. So our main character, Monica, and I wrote down her last name. What is it? Rayburn. Monica talks about her family. So her mom is married to Monica's stepdad, Tom, who's a police sergeant. And they got together when Monica was only five. And then later on, she mentions that her dad like walked out on the family and was like having an affair with some professor at the college he worked at or something. Kind of big. Who cares? So Tom has an older college age daughter. Honestly, I totally forgot about that because she's never brought up again. Monica's mom and Tom have an quote unquote oops baby named Petey, who is five years younger than Monica. So that'd make him like 10. I think Monica's like 15 or 16. It's not super clear. This book can't do math. Spoiler alert. We'll get there. Jen, 
or Jennifer, is Monica's older sister, and she's one of the cheerleaders who died. So if you remember, like, when I read the back cover or the inside cover or whatever of the book, five years ago, five girls on the cheerleading squad died. They got rid of the cheerleading squad. Now it's like a dance team, and Monica's, like, the center of all this conspiracy stuff. Okay, so... Monica's family moved into this new build home and she doesn't like it because she can't stick out of her bedroom anymore. Whatever. They had a hard time selling their old house because no one wants to live on the street of horrors because two of the other girls, I believe, I don't know, this is never brought up again either, also lived on that street. Whatever. Okay. So Monica briefly talks about her ex-boyfriend, Matt, who graduated and's not in Sunnybrook anymore. That's their town. They haven't spoken since July. I'm kind of like assuming it's never really stated. This is what I was saying. It leaves you to assume a lot of things that the book is starting at the beginning of the school year. So it's like August. Monica is on an excessive amount of painkillers and it isn't ever like directly stated, but it's like heavily, heavily inferred that she recently had an abortion and her mother comes into her bedroom to check on her and asks if Monica has told Matt. By the way, I also think like her mom is the only one that knows about this. Like, I don't think her stepdad knows she was pregnant or anything. So anyways, her mama asks if Monica told Matt about the baby. And Monica shortly says it wasn't his. And her mom says, I hope you learned something from this pain. I don't know. It's a super weird interaction because like originally my dog just sneezed. Originally, I thought her mom was like kind of a jerk, but I don't know. Monica's just dumb and like, This whole situation, like, they make a huge deal out of this, and then they stop bringing it up. It's really weird. So the next day, Monica's friend, Rachel, is picking her up, and the previous day, they tried out for the dance team. I'm pretty sure they're sophomores, and they're going to see if they made the list to be on the team, and they pick up this other friend, Alexa, and the three of them were, like, the only freshmen. Oh, no, so I guess they're juniors, because it says they're the only freshmen to make the dance team two years ago. Okay, I, like, literally don't know how old she is. Because it varies depending on what part of the book you're reading. Because she says something about like her friend is turned 17 before her because that's why she has her driver's license. So like the summer before, maybe she's like 16 or 15. I don't know. Nor do I care. She had to be like 16. Okay, anyways. Monica thinks she did a bad job and probably won't make the team this year because she's like not focused because of this baby situation. So the coach isn't particularly forgiving and Monica wonders if she will even care if she doesn't make the team because she's like going through a teenage crisis or whatever. They pick up the other friend, Alexa. (laughs) My note says, I don't know. All the girls are kind of snooty and privileged or whatever. It's true though. So Monica is clearly going through some stuff and is particularly short and upset, potentially justified. We don't know yet is what I say. So the school is leaking apparently. None of this matters. Okay, and so they have to move some of the trophy cases, and in Monica's path is a particular case she's been avoiding. It's a huge picture of her sister Jen and four of her friends who are also on the cheer squad. So they, I can't pronounce like half their last names, so I'm just going to like say their first names and we're going to go with it, whatever. So I'll have their full names on the chart So anyways, Juliana, but they call her Jules, thanks goodness, because for whatever reason, I like struggle to say that name correctly, because I want to say like Julianne. Anyways, okay, so Jules and Susan are Jen's BFFs, and they were both freshmen, and then there was like these two sophomores that were also on the team, Colleen and Bethany. And then like later on, it goes on to say that Rachel is cousins with Bethany, but they're not close. 
And then Colleen's mom is a teacher. Whatever. Okay. So it's like a photo from five years ago. They're on the cheerleading squad. And by the end of the season, all of them, Jules, Susan, Colleen, Bethany, and Jen were all dead. We already knew that. We read the back cover. Chapter two. Monica and her friends are looking at the dance team list. And there's a note that says, dance team list will be postponed till noon. Dot, dot, dot. I don't know. They make a big deal out of it. Spoiler alert. They all make the team. So it's mentioned that there are two seniors, both named Kelsey, Kelsey G and Kelsey B. And they're pretty much sure they'll make the team and they're the coach's favorites. And like, I kind of don't know if they're relevant to the story, but they're brought up quite a bit. Monica, Rachel, and Alexa are heading to homeroom. Rachel's nervous because she can't do a certain dance move or something. I don't know. It's like a pirouette or something. They talk about it a lot. I don't... What? Who cares? So, (laughs) Monica gets called to guidance and she pops some pain meds before she gets there. And Mr. DeMarco, who Monica's friends described as a silver fox, and I'm like, baby daddy, question mark. They think all their teachers are hot. Like, literally all of them are described as attractive. I'm like, I don't know about you, but the high school I went to, all the teachers were 50 and normal looking. Highly doubt any of them listened to this, but like, wasn't attracted to any of them. Anyways, Mr. DeMarco tells Monica that Colleen's mom, the health teacher, wants to put together a memorial ceremony because it's like coming up on the five-year anniversary of the deaths. It explains it in a minute. So she asked Monica to read a poem for it. And Monica's like, this is super awkward. And, like, apparently the ceremony is going to include, like, all the deceased cheerleaders, even though they didn't all die at the same time. But there were five deaths in two months, so, like, it makes sense. So, this briefly explains what happened. Colleen was the passenger in Bethany's car when it hydroplaned during a storm and drove into a tree. It was so bad that the coroner had a hard time figuring out, like, who was who, and one of the paramedics threw up at the scene. Jules and Susan died the night before homecoming. They're having a sleepover and Monica had given Jen strep. Jen couldn't go to the sleepover. So she would have been there during this murder. So Susan's parents were out of town. And when they got home the next morning, they found the two girls strangled to death. Susan didn't see it coming and was laying on the top of the stairs. Oh, so this must have been at Susan's house because she ran out of the shower when she heard Jules struggling and then Jules hands were sliced from a broken mirror in the foyer which she used to fight off the attacker it's mentioned that the attacker was a deranged neighbor Jack Canning obviously I don't know if I fully believe that so side note it was never brought up again but it says there's also a St. Bernard in the home but no mention of what happened to or where the dog was during the attack and I said if this dog is dead you know I'm gonna be so mad this better not be we were liars all over again but they don't bring up the dog again so that's helpful I'm just going to assume that the dog was let out and just was going on a merry walk and found a great home and was adopted. So there you go. So Monica talks about how her sister Jen used to be, oh, her and her sister Jen used to be close. But when Jen hit middle school, she didn't want anything to do with Monica anymore, which I feel like is pretty normal for siblings, especially like they're five years apart in age. So Jen had aspirations of being a vet and volunteering for Habitat for Humanity and like plans to go do something with that in the summer. But then supposedly, like we're not supposed to fully believe this, she committed suicide. And they said like the guilt of what Jack did to her friends and what he would have done to her if she was at the sleepover was too much for her to handle. It's like kind of what the police and the 
news chalk it up to. So Monica doesn't think her sister killed herself, especially because she didn't leave a note explaining why. Chapter three. So Monica is heading to the faculty bathroom because she feels sick. She sees a too old to be a student signing in and she realizes who it is and freaks out and starts like heading down the hall the other way to go to a different bathroom. That's what I was saying. We're just like supposed to assume who this person is, even though we have no idea. And she's like freaking out and it's from first person. So we don't get any details till later. So anyway, she stopped by a different guy, Jimmy, who is her ex Matt's best friend. He comes up a couple times, but he basically says hi and bye because he wants to talk to the new cross country coach, Brandon. Why they call their coach by their first name? I have no idea. So anyways, Monica then runs to the bathroom and starts throwing up. So then we get like this kind of backstory. Brandon is her baby daddy. And here's the whole thing. So get ready for me to spill the tea. So this is like all so freaking gross and weird. But over the summer, she started working at this country club, of course. And she says she wanted more than practicing dance in Rachel's backyard and lake days with Matt. And Matt seems gross. She describes him as beer breath and hands on her thighs, but never looks at her like he likes her or whatever. Gross. Okay. So the first time Monica saw Brandon, she was at one of Matt's track meets, like at a away game the school year before, and she saw him coaching the opposing team. So she like totally knows that he's a grown adult and she should not be involved. Matt is a lifeguard at this country club this summer and they're like hanging out on their lunch breaks or whatever. And I literally had or whatever in my notes. I've given up on trying not to say it. It's like my new signature phrase. So anyways, conveniently, the two of them never ask each other's age because it would ruin the situation that's developing because that's responsible and not discussing at all. So Monica and Matt had already broken up by the end of June since he's going away to college. It's like not like they had a falling out. It's just like, you're leaving. Whatever. Bye. Oh my gosh. I literally laughed out loud when I wrote these next notes. Okay. One night, Brandon gives like after at the country club or whatever after work. One night, Brandon gives her a ride home, if you know what I mean. And I'm like, but really, he does. He gives her a ride home, but he also has sex with her. So (laughs) she gives him directions like to her house, but she really leads them to like this make out point. It's called Offspray Bluff or whatever. And Monica initiates by climbing on top of him in this car. And then Brandon's like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, that's why I'm on top of you. She didn't say that, but that's like basically the situation. And then he says, this is a bad idea. You think? Dude, this is illegal. So then she says she isn't going to tell anyone and they have no self-control. Whatever. Duh. So they hook up like two more times after that. What? Like, I do I even need to explain this? You all know. It's like, why does this always happen? Pretty Little Liars. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. So then Monica has her annual gynecologist checkup and the doctor's like, when was your last period? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, go pee in this cup. So whatever. Monica's pregnant. So she calls into sick on her last day of work and Brandon never called to see why she didn't say goodbye at the end of the summer or anything like that. But like also kind of big who cares. Summer hookup at camp or whatever. Then you go your separate ways. I don't know. So anyways, uh, so she takes her first abortion pill and gets a text from Brandon wanting to talk. And she's like, oh, he wants to see me again. But really, he was warning her that he got a job at her high school. So like he totally knew who she was, how old she was. How do you know what school she went to? That's what I want to know. I And then like, why take that job? Just don't. Just for the plot's sake. 
for plot's sake. Okay, that's going to be a new thing. Anyways, Monica's mom picks her up from school because remember, she was getting sick in the bathroom. She wants to tell her mom who the father is, but doesn't. Monica's only 16 and Coach Brandon is in his 20s. So also, her Monica's stepdad's a cop, so like obviously no bueno. Her mom goes to pick her up some nausea meds that the doctor prescribes and Monica is a home alone at this point and she's in a ton of pain and probably addicted just saying but then that never comes up again like she stops using drugs for all we know like it doesn't talk about it anymore but then she's like so desperate and like taking way too much meds like they make a big deal out of it this part it's so stupid inconsistencies what do you know so Apparently, her stepdad was, like, in a car accident previously, so she thought he might have some, like, leftover pain meds stashed in his desk. So she's looking through his drawers when she finds, like, a stack of four envelopes addressed to Tom, that's her stepdad, to their old address. So everything's postmarked November 7th, which is the day her sister died, and they're each, each of the letters is a year apart. She sees there's a poor quality black and white picture of the photo of her sister and the friends, the one that was in the trophy case. And then in each envelope, there are four pictures in total, but they never really tell us, like, what the pictures are of. I'm assuming just of the girls. And each letter has the same message typed at the bottom. I know it wasn't him. Connect the dots. Chapter four. So Monica looks through all the envelopes and there's no return address, but they're all postmarked from Newton, which is the next town over. Okay. Why? I thought this stuff was going to be important. Okay, Monica looks for some more stuff, more information. And the bottom drawer of Tom's desk is locked. And she hears her mom in the driveway. So Monica sneaks back to her room and starts doing an internet search. And it's like, officer cleared in death of murder suspect. So I'm just going to read the article to you. An internal investigation has determined that a Sunnybrook police officer acted responsibly when he shot Jack Canning, 38, the suspected murderer of two teenagers in October of last year. Mr. Canning died in his home after a confrontation with two Sunnybrook police officers, Thomas Carl. Oh, she has a different last name than him. Carlino and Michael whatever. So it's Tom and Mike. Basically, Tom and his partner Mike were the first on the scene at the home murder. So this would have been Jules and Susan. And they saw Jack on his front porch because he was the deranged neighbor. And Jack ran back into his house when he saw Tom. So the officers followed him and Jack pulled a gun on them and Tom shot and killed him. And Jack's last words to Mike as he was dying is, I'm sorry. Oh man, I gotta read the rest of the article. Page 30 and 31. Jack Canning lived next door to Susan Berry, 15, one of the teenage victims. Court records show that when Mr. Canning was 20, he was arrested for a lewd act with a minor. Due to the victim's refusal to cooperate with police, the district attorney's office decided to drop all charges. Many in Sunnybrook feel that this oversight cost two young women their lives. This was a preventable tragedy. Whatever, whatever. Okay, according to the officers, they pursued Mr. Canning into the home upon seeing him behaving suspiciously near the crime scene. The officers claimed Mr. Canning barricaded himself in the bedroom. Upon breaking the door down, Tom found Mr. Canning removing something from his dresser drawer. When Canning refused to show his hands, Tom fired. Mr. Canning died at the scene. Later investigators found a revolver in Mr. Canning's dresser drawer and several photos of Susan Barry, including ones of her sunbathing by the pool. Okay. So... Monica is like confused by this because every article she found says Jack was reaching into his dresser, but her memory of what she was told was Jack pointed a gun at Tom and then he was like forced to shoot. So she's researching 
And Tom comes into her room because the dog wanted into her room was like scratching at her door. And he tells her that she should get some sleep and he looked kind of concerned at her laptop or whatever. So Monica wants to ask him about the letters in his desk, but doesn't know how to bring it up, especially because she found them while she was looking for drugs. This whole situation. So anyways, it's the next day, but the night before Monica got a text from Rachel telling her that they made the dance team and there was like a team meeting she missed because she went home sick. When Monica walks into lunch, Rachel and Alexa are talking, but immediately stop when Monica walks up. So she's like, oh, do they know? Uh, uh. No, it's not all about you, Monica. So they said that coach didn't pick team captains yet, even though they all assumed it would be the Kelsey's. And it's because the Kelsey's showed up late because they were getting iced coffees. So Monica asked who else made the team. And they said everyone from last year, plus two freshmen and that girl, Ginny, whatever her name is. They know her name, but pretend not to, like, not to so they could feel superior or something. Monica describes Jenny as not like a loser exactly, but people don't really think much of her. So then we get this story that when Monica's sister Jen was 13, her and Jenny had tumbling classes together and Jenny's mom would always come way late to pick her up from class, like 40 minutes late sometimes. So Monica remembers like this one time that Jen refused to go home and sat and waited like with Jenny for Jenny's mom to come. So Alexa gets up to buy a cookie. <laughs> It's just like a plot point so Monica and Rachel can talk by themselves. So Rachel asked why Monica got called to guidance and she's like to help with the memorial service or whatever. And Rachel got asked to because as I said earlier, Bethany was Rachel's cousin. But Rachel hated her because Bethany only wanted to hang out with Rachel's older sister, Sarah, and would make fun of her because she had like a gap tooth or something. So Monica talks about how her and Rachel have always shared everything with each other. So she's considering telling her about the letters she found. She mentioned that Rachel even told her about the time that she doesn't remember losing her virginity at a party to uh, some senior last year. And I'm like screaming, what kind of frick frack school is this? Like so much underage stuff going on. And she was like 14 or 15 at the time. Anyways, this prompts Monica to tell us that she hadn't even told Rachel she had been with anyone since her and Matt broke up, let alone a grown freaking man. And I said, the legal stuff in this book is way too casual. Like the whole town thinks this neighbor, Jack, taking pictures of 15-year-old Susan is a creep. He is. But this grown coach and senior kid are like casually hooking up with 14 or 15 year olds and Rachel was drunk at the time. So that adds a whole new level of not okay. And everyone just acts like this is like normal high school BS. It's not. Thanks for coming to my TED talk about how icky all this is. Gross. I can't even. Even? I cannot. I can't even calm down. I forgot about how annoyed I was. Okay. So anyways... So literally my note says, anyways, dot, dot, dot. Monica asked Rachel if she thinks something is missing relating to the deaths like dots that need to be connected because that's what the letter said. And Rachel looks scared and is like, what are you talking about? And Monica's like, nothing, just forget it and leaves lunch. She never tells her about the letters. So they're at practice and Rachel's called out for not being able to do that triple whatever pirouette dance move. They try on their new uniforms. I don't know. They talk about being like fat and whatever. Not fat, but like feeling uncomfortable because they're so tight. I don't, it's whatever. Rachel has an eating disorder practically. So anyways, they're trying on their new uniforms. The track team runs in because it's storming out, of course. And Alex shouts hi to Coach Brandon. 
or Alexa. I have Alex on accident. Anyways, Alexa shouts hi to Coach Brandon, and he says, better not keep your coach waiting or whatever, and Alexa's like, he is so hot. And Kelsey B's like, he has a girlfriend. I saw them together at the mall picking out a coffee maker. And Monica's like, upset, obviously, but no one really knows why. We know, obviously. So after practice, she goes to Brandon's office because, quote unquote, they need to talk. So dumb, dumb me thinks she's going to like have the talk about the pregnancy. But instead, she's just like, do you have a girlfriend? That's the biggest like priority that you need to talk to him about. And Brandon's like, well, yeah, but he wasn't with her over the summer. And they broke up last year when she moved to Boston for some job. And she just moved back and things just happen. Whatever. Big who cares? So Monica's like, whatever, it's fine. Whatever we were doing is done anyways. Yeah, because he's in his 20s and you're like freaking 16 and he's a teacher at your school. That's why it's done. Like, don't act like you ended this like some big kid. (sighs) So Monica walks out and she's trying not to cry. And Ginny is sitting on the floor reading a book and she looks up. She obviously knows like Monica's in Brandon's office. So Ginny blurts out that she missed the bus and was waiting for her mom. And Monica just walks out too ashamed to even look at her. And like it says, there's something going on with Ginny, obviously. But it seems like Monica like isn't remembering something or doesn't know something or something we don't know about. We kind of find out later, just like telling you now that like people make fun of Ginny and Monica should have stood up for her. So she feels guilty or whatever. She's like discovering Monica throughout the book is discovering that she's a butt and like this prissy popular jerk and she should be a better human being. Okay. Later on, Monica gets home and she wants to go through Tom's desk again. And it's like super unnecessarily drawn out, like to the point where it's talking about straightening paper clips and then another one's bent and that's how she picks the lock. And like, I could learn how to pick a lock from this section of the book. So basically, she picks the lock in the bottom drawer and she finds her sister's phone. So Tom comes home and almost catches her, but he doesn't. So she talks about how Tom was like always a father to her more than her own dad and was like reasonably upset when Jen died, like any parent would be. And then Monica speculates why he kept the phone all these years and to see how the dots connected, even though he's the one that connects them. Like, he was there at the car accident, like, as a first responder. He obviously was there with the Jack Canning murder situation. And we later find out he found Jennifer at home. So, like, he connects all the dots. So, it a little bit talks about Jen's death. Like, Monica's mom would call Jen because she stayed home sick that day or something. And then, like, at one point, the mom couldn't get a hold of her. So she's like, Tom, go check on her. And he had to, like, kick down the door and found her. And then it's, like, supposed to be pointing that, like, oh, my gosh, she could be involved. But he's a police officer. So I don't think it's, like, suspicious that he's holding on to the phone. If he thought maybe she didn't kill herself, it would make sense that he held on to it as, like, evidence or whatever. So anyways, Monica's a big jumper to conclusions. Just call her Harry Potter. So... Monica charges the phone and there isn't any text or they were all deleted. And the phone call log is like the mom checking on Jennifer. And then there's like a call from a number that isn't registered in the phone. There's no like name attached to it. And it's a 17 minute long conversation. So it's not like a spam call or something. And then there's the missed calls from the mom. So it had to be like the last person that talked to Jennifer before she died. So Monica texts the number 
And this is like the dumbest crap ever. If this was me, I'd be like, hey, uh, I got your number from my friend. Um, but like, who is this whatever or something? I don't, maybe not that, but like trying to figure out like, oh, hey, this is so-and-so just so you know. But instead, this is what she says. Instead of being like all trying to get information, she just says, hello, I found your number in my sister's phone. And I was wondering, did you know she was about to die when she was talking to you that morning? Yeah, that really makes someone want to talk to you and tell you who they are. Like, what the heck, Monica? And then Monica's like, who are you? And this person's like, uh, who are you? And she's like, I'm Jen Rayburn's sister or whatever. How did you get this number? Her phone. Who are you? You were the last one to talk to her. Please just tell me who you are. And the person's like, that doesn't matter. Be careful. So like for now, we're just going to refer to this person as unknown because we don't know if it's a guy or a girl. We don't know like who they are. We like later find out, but... For now, if I say unknown, I'm referring to the person in the phone. So then this next section is Jennifer, five years ago, August. So if we remember, she died in November. So (laughs) I said, this book drones on a lot. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Yes, I am. Because we're already like 30 minutes into this. Jen is super tall and the base of the cheerleading, whatever, big who cares. And then Jules, it's like, was Jules' idea to join the squad? And she's like really petite. Whatever, they're opposites. I don't know. Who cares? It talks a lot about it. Their coach likes to be called Allie. And it's like the opposite personality of Monica's like current coach, who's like really strict. Anyways, Susan, who's like the other BFF, is a perfectionist and needs a lot of approval. And Jen wonders if Mrs. Barry, Susan's mom, had anything to do with like her being a perfectionist because she's so nice and helpful and like over the top and jen wonders if she's like secretly a psycho i don't know at for a second i thought that mattered i don't think it does so then there's this girl carly amato i believe amato and she transferred to school the end of last year and jen is not a fan to say the least and she says like to us what i really mean is carly scares me and i don't trust her so a few weeks ago so this would be like in the summer before school started Long story short, Jen saw Carly leaving a bathroom and her pupils were dilated and she wiped her nose. Coke. Cocaine. I'm assuming. My chart says Carly the cokehead. <laughs> it's confirmed later. But in one of Jen's chapters, she's like, how do I tell my friends that I think Carly's on cocaine? But when I first read it, I literally like went up to my husband. I was like, is, is this referring to her using cocaine? Because I really can't tell. It's way too vague. So Jules and Carly have become close because they went to like some summer cheer camp together and carly wants them to do this swan dive move which apparently is like really dangerous and not allowed in high school competitions if you can't tell i was never a cheerleader no hey i'm just saying i don't know what i'm talking about so jen like describes that she feels her friend slipping away from her chapter five so monica wakes up and she reads her last unanswered text before be careful and she's like of what from like this unknown person. So Rachel's driving her to school and they see Jenny waiting for the bus. And Monica's like, you should go offer a ride. And Rachel's like all weird about it. And Monica rolls in her window and asks, do you need a ride? And Jenny gently declines. And then when they're driving away, Rachel tells Monica that her dad fired Jenny's dad, but doesn't say like, why are the circumstances? And that's why she was acting all weird about it. So more texts with unknown. So Monica asks if she knows this person and they say no. And they ask, how did she get Jen's phone? And Monica tells them that she like found it or whatever. And this unknown person's like, don't you think it's weird that he had it? 
And I'm like, no, how's that weird? Like explain, maybe there's evidence on it. Maybe, I don't know. Like there are a lot of reasons you would hold on to your child's phone after they committed suicide. And maybe it's like locked away so it doesn't upset Monica or the mom who had a really, really hard time with it. Like they talk about how for a year she just shut the bedroom door and didn't do anything with Jennifer's room or whatever. Anyways, Monica asked this unknown person what Jen and this person talked about the day she died. There's no response. Monica says, can you tell me anything? And they're like, don't trust anything your stepdad says. And Monica's like, anything he says about what? And this person's like, everything, dot, dot, dot. Like, oh, we're trying to point at the stepdad who's obviously not going to be the person that's the main bad guy and is going to probably save the day. And she's going to feel like an idiot for suspecting him. (sighs) okay practice canceled and rachel can't drive her home for some reason i can't remember it's just a plot pushing towards this next interaction so monica takes the bus and she sits next to jenny and monica asks why jenny quit dance and she said her parents separated and her mom couldn't afford it who cares monica says she's like yesterday in the cross-country coach's office it wasn't what you think and jenny cuts her off and says you don't have to tell me it's none of my business and i'm like but it is what they think but anyways so whatever i said random also jenny has a small scar in her left hand on the knuckle of her middle finger so i don't know seems important eventually and then like ding (laughs) jenny stabbed the girls that's how she got the scar done book solved or that's how she got the scar because like one of the girls is stabbed or something they change like they say they're strangled and they say one of them has cuts all over her big who cares Jenny stabbed him. I, I solved the book. She would have only been like 10 at the time. I'm just joking around. Anyways, later Monica starts Googling Jack Canning because she knows there's some inconsistencies on if he pointed the gun at Tom or not. And she finds this article by Daphne Furman. Okay, friends of Jack described him as a gentle giant. Almost everyone who worked for Sunnybrook Police Department, this is something like Daphne wrote in the article. Almost everyone who worked for the Sunnybrook Police Department had a personal connection to the girls. Were the police wearing emotional blinders? Perhaps. So Monica emails Daphne and they set up a meeting for like the weekend, whatever. And it's time for the meeting. The rest of the day doesn't matter. So (laughs) Daphne said she tried to interview the police, but they declined. But she talked to other people in the town. And basically, the important information from this conversation is there weren't any signs of forced entry at the Barry's house. That's Susan's house. That's where the sleepover was. The night of the murders. So no forced entry. And they had a peephole at the house. So why would they let Jack in if they were so creeped out by him? Like whoever came to the house, they willingly let in. So Monica says Jack was basically a sex offender or should have been. And Daphne's like, um, do you know why? Do you know the whole story? You don't, Monica, because you make a bunch of stupid assumptions. So Daphne tells her that Jack was caught in the car with his girlfriend by her father when he was 20 and she was 17. Monica says to us, four years, the age difference between Brandon and me is twice that. Okay, you guys, let's quick math homework. 20 minus 17 is not four. It's three. Don't you dare start with inconsistencies. Book. Not here for it. Also, like, I forgot twice their age. So if she's 16, then that makes Brandon 24 if it's four years apart, if we use her math. Anyways. Anyways. Okay. 
So then Monica makes an okay point and she's like, so why do you have pictures of Susan who was only 15 at the time and he was like in his 30s? And I say that I think he saw something suspicious. So he was taking pictures to prove it or something. You know what I mean? Like, oh, someone's like creeping around her yard. So he was taking pictures, whatever. Also, Daphne is like, there was no bloody clothes at Jack's house. He maybe would have had time to hide them. But there was like cuts all over Jules' body, so the killer would have had blood on them from the attack. The article also mentions that Bethany, this was the car accident one. Bethany would not have drank and drove. She was like too responsible for that. And her family denies rumors that Bethany was texting at the time of the crash. Also, it's a shock that Jennifer would have taken her own life because she was always smiling. That's kind of like opposite of proof that she wasn't suicidal I don't know if you know anything about that. Like the happiest people can commit suicide. Like this is not like, oh my God, this happy person. They couldn't possibly have. I don't think she committed suicide. I'm just saying that doesn't prove the point. So Daphne says everyone who she interviewed loved Jen. So Monica is like abruptly leaves. She can't talk about it. She just like leaves. It's super weird. So at the end of the chapter, she's kind of saying to us, if Jack didn't kill Susan and Jules, why was his last words, I'm sorry? I don't know. And we'll probably never find out. Chapter six. Okay. Monica's at Rachel's house practicing when she gets a text exchange from this unknown number. So let's read it. The person, the unknown person's like, have you thought any more about what I said? The part about your stepdad creepily keeping your sister's phone in his desk. Not creepy, but like, okay, whatever. So she's like, why should I trust you? I don't even know who you are. And this person's like, I was friends with your sister. And then Monica's like, then why didn't she even have your name in her phone? And then the person's like typing, they whatever, erase it. And then they say, I can prove it. She's like, how? And they're like, you'll see. So then they're like, check inside the unfinished house across the street. So they live in like this new build neighborhood. So there's this unfinished house because like the owners couldn't afford to finish it or something. That's like right across the street from her. So you can like walk around in it because it's still being built. So Monica goes home and to not look suspicious, she takes her dog for a walk so she can check the unfinished house. Also like really, really random. And this seems like so weird to me. Like I thought they were exaggerating and maybe I'm just an idiot, but she says, I cross onto the driveway and climb. It slopes hundreds of feet up to the house. Hundreds? Your driveway is hundreds of feet in elevation. Like that seems not correct. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm confused. So she climbs this mountain, gets in this house, and she sees footprints and a cigarette butt by a bay window. And the unknown person texts her and says, check the window. And she finds a note with her sister's handwriting. So her sister wrote, I'm not okay. And then there's like this unknown handwriting. Do you want to talk about it? And her sister's like, yes. So Monica is shook. So she heads home. And after everyone goes to bed, Monica goes downstairs to search the bins that are labeled Jennifer's things or whatever. Because she's looking for a diary to figure out what wasn't okay. But instead, she finds this English notebook with writing prompts. The prompt is, five years from now, I see myself, dot, dot, dot. And then Jennifer says, writing a paragraph convincing my friend not to take drugs. Your friend's hanging out with a drug addict and you think in five years you're going to be like saying something about it? <sighs> Any ways. She's worried about Jules because she's friends with Cokehead Carly or whatever. So when Monica then finds a copy of Wuthering Heights, I don't know why that book keeps coming up in all the other books we read, but whatever. Anyways, there's the same unknown handwriting and it's a poem from what Monica describes as a, a stalker. So the little writing poem section says, 
I watch you chew on your pen cap when you're thinking. I watch you in the hall, laughing your eyes, missing mine. I wish I knew what you were thinking. I wish I were in on the joke. That's not a poem. It's also super weird. So anyways, in the morning, Monica asks if they can get security cameras because she doesn't feel safe living in a big house. Obviously, she's worried about this unknown person and they like have to live somewhat nearby and they're leaving her notes and they know where she lives and stuff. So then Monica decides to take the dog Mango for a walk again to see if the person left like anything else behind because she saw the cigarette butt and she can't go in the house because there's like a van and an SUV in the driveway. She thinks it's not a coincidence that the owners or contractors or whoever in this van are there the day after her and this unknown person were sneaking around the property, but like big who cares. So Monica goes the other way and she passes Ginny's house and asks if she wants to join her on her walk. And Ginny brings up that Jennifer was always really nice and they used to be in dance together. We already know this. So Monica feels guilty because in ninth grade, the other girls were snickering about Ginny and Monica did nothing about it. You're a teenager. Big who cares? So the teacher would call Ginny Virginia, because obviously that's her full name, and the girls would emphasize virgin. We're talking freshmen here, like, oh, you're a virgin? You're a freshman in high school? Ooh, way to be normal. So then, like, I don't know. That's really weird thing to make fun of. Makes me think of uh, Walk to Remember, when they're like, Photoshop her onto the Virgin Mary or whatever. Anyways, so they look at her linebacker shoulders and flat chest. And I was like, mm, they're describing me like in my current state. And they said, she probably didn't even get her period yet. Ooh, burn. I'm like, they're like 14. Have fun with your next 500 periods. Like what? I don't understand. So then this is the day that Jenny got the nickname Man Arms from Kelsey G, who was taking the class for the second time. Girl, you dumb. So, Monica asks if Jenny has seen anything weird at the new build house across the street, and Jenny doesn't think so. And then Monica doesn't explain anymore and just, like, leaves. She does that a lot. She just leaves. Chapter 7. We only have two chapters left. This chapter is stupid. You know what they say about assumptions, and that's all this book is. That's my first note, so let's go. Monica goes to Mr. Ward's classroom because he was Jennifer's English teacher. So she asks him about the other students in class and shows him the poem. And he tells her that it could be Ethan McCready. He sat behind Jen and he was expelled the year Jen died. The teacher thought the whole, like Mr. Ward, thought the whole thing was blown out of proportion. But he, being Ethan, had a list of names of all the cheerleaders in his notebook and monica immediately assumes it's a hit list and tells everyone that that's what mr ward said and he literally says the opposite he's like this was blown out of proportion i don't think it was a hit list so mr ward said that ethan never struck him as violent just as a loner wearing all black and headphones you know the type and i was like da 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 it's me i'm the type like what <sighs> so i'm like jenny and ethan's love child so <laughs> Monica wants to find an old yearbook so she can see a picture of him or whatever. And the library's closed for like construction. That's convenient at the very beginning of the year. And Colleen's mom, who's the teacher, is there and knows Monica's looking for an old yearbook. So that'll probably come back around. Big who cares. Monica's told to go to Miss Goldberg's classroom, the yearbook teacher or whatever. She runs a yearbook club. I don't know what it's called. Anyways, so Ginny's there conveniently and gets Monica the yearbook and Ginny knows who Ethan is because her mom was his mom's nurse when she was really sick and Ginny went to his mom's wake after she died. She had cancer. They explain it later on. 
Monica is like, he had a hit list of all the cheerleaders. Uh, yeah, no. Okay. He had a list with the cheerleaders' names. Like, calm down. Anyway, she takes Jenny outside because she wants to tell her pretty much everything. So, like, before I get into that, Jimmy, who, if we remember, is Matt's best friend or whatever, or ex-boyfriend. One of the guys throws, like, a frisbee and it hits Jenny and Monica's like, he hit you on purpose. What a jerk. And Jenny's like, no, he just did that so Jimmy could, like, come over and talk to you. But what I what I took from the section was, like, Jimmy really wanted to talk to Jenny, but, like, big who cares? I don't think it matters. So, anyways, Monica tells Jenny about the phone and the text and the note at the house, et cetera, et cetera. So, Jenny basically is like, this sounds like the butterfly effect to me. The whole thing of if a butterfly flaps its wings, it could, the chain of reaction could cause tsunamis or whatever. So, like, basically, Monica's trying to figure out what started this chain of events to, like, set off all the deaths of the cheerleaders. Like, it's one thing and then it caused each situation. And I say, I can't even decide if I care anymore, for being honest. It's one of those situations. So later, Monica, the know-it-all detective, confronts her real cop of a stepdad, Tom. He's pretty freaking irritated, and I don't blame him, because that's where I'm at, too. So Tom tells her that Ethan didn't even own a gun, and the list was investigated. Tom also says it would upset her mom, like Monica's mom, if she knew Monica was going through Jen's thing, because she talks about the book and how Ethan was like a stalker or whatever. So anyways, Tom says, there's no way Ethan McCready was even strong enough to strangle Jules and Susan. He was like 110 pounds and the girls were super fit. And I say, I literally thought one of them had cuts all over her. It goes back and forth. She could have both, but like sometimes it makes it seem like she was stabbed to death. And sometimes it makes it seem like they were both strangled. And I really have no idea. Also, you know who has really strong arms? Strong man arms, McGee, Ginny. She also would have been 10, but I'm just saying there's like two things already pointing at her. So Monica brings up Jack, aka Jack Canning, who supposedly murdered them. And Tom's like, enough of this. I don't want to talk about this. So Monica's like, Ethan was in love with Jen. I'm like, was he though? Like she wanted to talk to him about what was upsetting her in this note. Like, do you want to talk? Yes. So it seemed mutual or whatever. So Tom's like, he's not going to hurt anyone. And Jack is dead. And Ethan didn't strangle the girls. So he like doesn't want to bring it up again, but he's pretty nice about it. Whatever. He's all upset because he shot Jack and they like can't for sure prove that he murdered Jules and Susan. So he was under investigation and stuff. So he doesn't want to talk about it. Jennifer, five years ago, September. So Jen basically talked about how it's lonely to be on top and popular or whatever because people are like, should I even talk to her? She's so popular. I'm like, not worthy. Big who cares? So basically all her friends are a-holes, the classic stereotype, whatever. So Jules and Jen get into a stupid fight because Jules has been hanging out with Cokehead Carly or whatever. So they get in this stupid teenage fight and then Jen writes on her little prompt, I'm not okay. And she throws it in the trash after class and Jen's over by a locker and Ethan comes up to her. So then backflash, Jen remembers when they were kids and she would like play in the woods behind her house, catching tadpoles and things like that. And Ethan was there. I don't know. They did stuff together. He seemed pretty cool. Then one day, the summer before fifth grade, he kissed her. And I'm like, am I old or are they too young? Like, fifth grade? And Jen lied about her first kiss or something to her friends. Anyways, Jen, like, runs home. She apparently has freaking Monica syndrome and never talks to him after that because that's normal. They were like besties. It's so weird. And when he kisses her, she doesn't describe it as like, oh, I didn't want it to happen. But they also were like fifth graders. 
Anyways, he got like really reclusive after that and only talking to two of his friends and always wearing a hoodie and headphones. Ooh. So anyways, he's at our locker and he's like, you drop this. And it's like the response to the note. Do you want to talk about it? So then later that day or whatever, she's in the cafeteria. So there's this kid, Mark, who's been hooking up with Bethany, but he has a crush on Jen, but Jen just like ignores it. And Bethany's always making these like backhand comments, like trying to hurt Jen and stuff. It's stupid, whatever. So they're eating lunch and Jen's friend group is bullying Ethan. And it's mostly Bethany and Mark and like the other jock boys and Colleen, the other sophomore who was like the passenger in the car accident. She's like trying to ignore the whole situation. And they're throwing quarters and they're trying to get him down the back of Ethan's pants. It's really, really cringy. And they call him McCreepy, which is not very nice. So Ethan calmly gets up and like grabs one of the thrown quarters and is like, I think this is yours to Mark, like a boss. So Mark pours fruit punch all over Ethan's shoes. And Ethan just like walks away smirking. And the table goes back to like awkwardly laughing and everything. And Jen sees Ethan fold his fingers on one hand in the shape of a gun. But I'm like, big who cares because no one we know was shot and he didn't even own a gun. Basically, this is a Snape and Lily situation. So like Harry Potter, Ethan, Snape, Jennifer's Lily, and like freaking Bethany ignoring the whole situation is Professor Lupin and Colleen the jerk is Sirius Black. Period. Done. Chapter eight. (laughs) Literally, big who cares chapter. That's the first line. Monica goes to the gun range with Tom because he's like trying to take her because she said, oh, I want cameras and stuff. He's taken her before, but he's like trying to make her feel better. And his partner, Mike, is there who she describes as like really attractive. Why? Why is every male in this story super duper attractive or something? Like that's not real, but whatever. So she's at the gun range and Tom's like, let me show you how to do it. And she runs out per usual, runs out into the lobby because the thought of Tom shooting Jack is like too much for her. Why does everyone always run away? Just face your fears. Confront people. Like, gosh. Okay. Later, they're at lunch and Tom's like off talking to someone at the salad bar. And Monica's like, I need to ask you stuff, Mike, but don't tell Tom I asked you. And Mike's like, uh, I can't promise that, but what's up? So she wants to talk about Ethan. And Mike's like, I'm the one that interviewed Ethan about this quote unquote hit list. And he's like, the cheerleaders and the football team are on this list before she like made it seem like it was only the dead cheerleaders and i'm assuming there was more than four people on this cheer squad but whatever and she's like why wasn't he charged and he's like there's nothing to charge him with the good he didn't make any threats he didn't have any weapons or anything he just had a list of names and mike says when he interviewed ethan he didn't say much and didn't even seem to know why he wrote the list and it and mike's like it was probably just for attention and ethan's mom had advanced cancer and his dad wasn't in the picture big who cares like no one's ever written a list of names what the heck so mike says that he knows it's unsettling considering the circumstances and she's like what circumstances and mike's like ethan lived around the corner from you and tom used to complain about him wandering the neighborhood at night and monica did not know this the biggest of who cares should i insert it i probably will the biggest of who cares So, I don't know, like, not a great ending to the episode, but this episode's already super long, so I'm just gonna stop here. It's like a third of the book. Oh my gosh. Okay, so lingering questions slash theories. Why is this book rubbing me the wrong way? I don't know. It's just, like, too drawn out and, like, nothing. We haven't learned anything. So, 
my next question is, was the car accident just a coincidence? People get in car accidents all the time. Like, I'm not really sure how that's related. I don't even know how any of the deaths are related. Anyways, how did Jennifer supposedly kill herself? Because I feel like that's important to figure out if someone actually murdered her or whatever. So like, did she OD on drugs, strangle herself? Was there a gun involved? Like maybe she shot herself. We don't know. We don't know. Why did we waste like three chapters talking about Monica's baby daddy, Coach Brandon, and never bring it up again? Still don't know the answer to that. I know it doesn't seem like that, but in the book, I literally read like 40 pages about it and then it's never brought up again. My like, I get, I don't know. This isn't a theory. It's kind of a statement. Tom's only guilty of maybe shooting like the wrong person. Like maybe Jack didn't do the murders. But other than that, like he's not involved clearly. Like he's going to be the hero by the end of this or something stupid. Colleen's mom seems suspicious. She's a teacher for no reason in particular, just throwing it out there. And then like Jenny, she has the scars so the cuts and then she has man arms. But like she also would have been 10 ish during the murders or like 11. So that seems like a lot big. Who cares? In closing, thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Jolly Breeder Podcast. I will make my chart more acceptable since I wrote notes all over it and will be posting it shortly. Subscribe so you get notifications for the future episodes. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please re- leave a review because it helps other crewmates find this podcast. And I just like seeing what you guys have to say about it. Please share, discuss, and comment about this podcast because algorithms and such help me get found. <laughs> That's the truth. And I like to read your comments. And I respond. I really do. If you like secondhand embarrassment, stay tuned for the outtakes. And I will talk to you next time for the second part of The Cheerleaders. I'm going to go make my child some mashed potatoes. Until we sail again, this has been The Jolly Reader. Bon voyage. Hey, you made it to the outtakes. Let's do it. Testing. I can't believe I have to do two more weeks of this book. It's insufferable, but hopefully it's fun. Okay. I guess I'll check it. By the way, I have my chart of people in front of me because like, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting everyone's names. I kind of want to prop it up. Okay. So anyways, uh, Jules, ow, punched my mic. Hey girls. Dogs, stop wrestling. Sunny, Rory, stop it. Don't look at me with your cute faces. Mr. DeMarco tells Monica that Colleen's mom, who's the teacher, who I'm going to write down on my chart because I totally forgot. Stop it, girls. Okay, it's on the chart. Prop this back up. This is a whole thing. Okay. So, Colleen's sister, the health teacher, wants... Why do I keep saying sister? This is like 14 minutes in. I hate this. It's horrible. Drink my coffee and make myself feel better. This is probably going to get edited out because I'm like whispering anyways. All right. Chapter three. Chapter three. Hold on. I got a text. And it's probably from my husband. We're trying to open our pool and I need to know what I need to do for it. Let's see. If you could please plug in the pump, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Okay. I will after I'm done recording. My crew is more important than my pool. Okay. So... Sunny butt, you need. You're not going out. There's people mowing. Okay. I don't want to say it because I'll pronounce it wrong. You guys, who cares? Okay. So <laughs> let me write down his last name. Why am I so bad at names? Like, I just don't want to offend anyone.
by like mispronouncing all this. I can barely say my own name sometimes. Can put it on the chart. You guys can make fun of me because I can't pronounce it. I spell this Tom's last name. I was not expecting his name to be different. Carlino. Okay. Anyways, I don't even know her mom's name. I didn't even write that down. Okay. So anyways, that's my chart. All right. So Allie, are you okay, babe? What's wrong? Okay. It is. Didn't like. I'm coach whatever. Whose name? I don't know. Like on my chart says coach question mark. Is she even on my chart? Oh, yeah. She's, okay. I don't remember her last name. Berman. Okay. I know I'm updating my chart as we go. So, my goodness gracious. Okay. Friends of Jack. God, I have so much to go. I'm annoyed. I hate it. Okay. We're almost done with today. It's been bumpy, rough season for this book. Okay. Text exchange. There's no way Ethan McCready was strong enough to strangle Julian. Or not Julian. That's why I call her Jules. And there's this kid, Mark Zhang, who I didn't even write down. Add him to the list. He's dating someone. Mark Zhang. Um, okay. <sighs> there's too many names. Have you noticed? Okay. Yes. Hey, but give me a minute. She wants mashed potatoes. Okay. I'll be down in a minute. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I am Allie. And you are with me to my mom. 